Salam and peace. Uh, this is Imam Malik Mujahid, and you are watching Muslim Network TV. We are there 24/7 on Galaxy 19 satellite, as well as uh, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, Apple TV, and of course you can download our apps, Muslim Network TV, or watch uh, online MuslimNetwork.tv. And if you are uh, into watching everything on YouTube, we are there. But do remember to subscribe. um today we'll be talking about politics of impeachment 2.0 there are many interesting you know impeach he was impeached but senate uh, uh, did not agree with the house except that some of the senators did agree with the house but not enough votes to uh, punish uh, pres- uh, former president trump but many interesting angles are coming out a professor who was quoted by um, Trump defense uh, that professor is going to be our guest he is saying actually he was misquoted there and uh, and we have uh, uh, someone who is not a constitutional lawyer but with a keen eye on the development starting from the beginning of january about the military coup and why uh, police was a, uh, was incapable of dealing with all the crowds and things like that and that is paul j welcome to muslim network tv paul uh, thank you for inviting me uh, paul j is a journalist and a filmmaker is the founder and publisher of the analysis.news and uh, has been to white house and uh, well to to capitol hill as a as a journalist with passes and everything and have good insight into that so paul tell me uh, <clears throat> i mean you have a unique take on it you 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 think uh, trump actually was trying to have a military coup would didn't quite work out so what is your thesis about it Well honestly it's, it's it's kind of not my thesis in the sense that it's all out there in the public domain it's just for for reasons i guess we can get into uh the media and the and the political class don't want to talk about because it i think it reveals a, a great weakness and dysfunctionality in the american political structure but essentially what i've been able to piece together and i say it's nothing secret it's all out there uh but uh on january 4th and this is the sort of the in the trigger into it uh 10 former secretaries of defense uh from both parties organized by dick cheney no less apparently issue a letter warning the uh, acting secretary of defense christopher miller who had just recently been appointed by uh, trump after firing the previous secretary of defense warning him in in no uncertain terms not to interfere or let the military interfere in the outcome of the elections and uh it's in a letter that comes out the same day by an admiral uh i always mess mess up his name it's a greek name uh, something like stavridis 
this is not a retired admiral, but he's not just a retired admiral. He's also the former Supreme Commander of NATO. And he's also an operating executive board member of Carlyle Group, which is one of the largest private equity firms on Wall Street and a major investor in arms manufacturers and in the industrial military complex. He, he issues a, 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 writes an op-ed column in Time magazine supporting the letter of the 10 secretaries of defense. So they, they obviously think there is a real possibility uh, because he also names, the Admiral names uh, Christopher Miller. He actually uses the words, the, the Secretary of Defense doesn't have the temperament to stand up to a willful president. So they are clearly concerned that Trump is leaning on the uh, his, his new Secretary of Defense uh, not to get involved in the elections. And then uh, the Admiral says that the letter of the uh, 10th Secretary, former Secretaries of Defense is specifically written in response to the statement by retired General uh, Michael Flynn, recently pardoned Flynn in mid-December, where he calls for martial law, that means military intervention, and a new election. So this is all out there in, in, you know, in the public domain that obviously all these guys thought there was a real possibility of what amounts to uh, a coup. Um, it begins uh, in mid-September. Steve Bannon is on the Tucker Carlson show on Fox TV, mid-September. So this is, you know, a month, six weeks or so before the election. It's already clear Trump's going to lose. And Bannon calls, and these are his words, for a war that begins on November 4th to stop the steal. So they're already talking about the stealing of the election. The campaign begins in mid-September. And then what happens in after the election result, and it's obvious that the elections, you know, as fair as these elections can be, and, and you know, there's no widespread fraud and so on. Uh, Trump simply won't hand over power. And at first, I think it looks to people like it's another Trump sideshow to make himself the center of attention and he'll do it for a while and then eventually he'll concede and play ball with the system. But as time goes on after the election, it starts to become clear uh, to the elites, uh, even to the leaders of the Republican party, that Trump is out of his mind. He's absolutely delusional. He act, really believes he can organize a coup and one of the things that's the trigger for these guys, and, and the Admiral specifically mentions this in his article in Time magazine, he says that when the 10 secretaries, who he says has been studying this for months, uh, as all this unfolded, meaning from September, when they saw the efforts Trump went to, to undo the election results in Georgia, now I'm quoting from the Admiral's article, a shiver must have gone down their spine. Well, why? If the vote in Georgia is overturned, it's not enough electoral college votes to change the outcome. So why does Trump put so much effort into doing it to the point that he so pisses off the Secretary of State of Georgia that he releases publicly their telephone conversation? Why, why take such a risk? Because as part of this crazy coup plan, 
the overturning of the vote in Georgia would give him something to hang his hat on in terms of the elections being fraudulent. Because up until that point, he had nothing. So in the article by the Admiral, Admiral he points to this Georgia uh, case as evidence that shook these secretaries of defense and himself. And I, for me too, I was saying at the time, there's something going on here. It, it, Trump is risking too much. So, I mean, I can get into more detail of it, but the gist of it is Trump attempted to enlist the, apparently, this, uh, you know, based on what these authoritative figures are saying, tried to get the acting secretary of defense to get the military to intervene, and it must be to intervene on January 6th. That's the only thing that makes sense, that they create such deliberate chaos at Congress on January 6th in an attempt to stop the uh, certification of the vote for Biden, that it's such a threat that the military comes in, declares martial law, and orders a new election. And they were expecting, abandoning those guys, they've been doing a national campaign on Stop the Steal. They thought there would be similar attacks on, in state capitals across the country. Well, the whole plot failed. The military refused to get involved. The leadership, uh, not just the acting secretaries, but the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, Milley, all the senior leadership, at least one, what one can see in public, said, do not get involved, and issued very stern warnings to the military, do not get involved. And I don't see any evidence that they did or were going to. I think the uh, efforts of the senior military leadership asserted themselves and the military were not going to get involved. Uh, but that apparently <laughs> that, that it was, that this thing was blowing up in his face. So Paul, if there is no evidence that military is going to get involved, then don't you think this whole, uh, whole uh, thesis falls apart, which you are, you're developing, that military was about to get involved, but it couldn't get involved because uh, there was so much opposition to it uh, before it happened? Oh, I'm not, no, no, that's, my thesis isn't that the military was going to get involved. My thesis is Trump attempted a coup, attempted to get the military involved. And it was going to be done through this. The reason he fired the former Secretary of Defense, one of maybe the main reason for putting if Miller in. If they were thinking since September about the military coup, when was he fired? Do you remember that? Oh, I don't know if the military coup starts uh, in September. I think uh, I, have, I have no idea when that begins. Uh, Bannon starts the campaign to stop the steal in September. They start organizing the crowds, the mob. They they start getting ready to you know to march on Washington. Uh, the military part, the only public evidence of it is mid December when Flynn calls for martial law, uh, and according to the admiral's le uh, letter in Time magazine, the uh, letter from the ten secretaries of defense is quote in response to Flynn's statements. Mm. Uh, so I don't know any more than what's in the public domain. I, I'm guessing this, I'm only seeing the tip of the iceberg, uh, but it's a heck of a tip of an iceberg. So 
<laughs> do you think um, America will ever know what transpired all of that? Do you think that intelligence agencies and uh, FBI and the CIA and the military intelligence, I don't know how many other agencies are there. Will anybody will take all that information put together to know how close America came to abandoning democracy? Well, I'm not sure how close it was in the sense that I don't know if anyone serious in the military ever considered getting involved. There's no evidence either way on that. Uh, but there must have been something going on because for these 10 secretaries of defense to have such a public letter and the admiral, it shows weakness. It shows dysfunctionality. It shows the possibility that a president is so deranged, he'll get his secretary of defense to try this. So I don't know how close it came to reality, but the fact they went public suggests it was closer than maybe we think. As far as it doesn't require any intelligence agencies in the sense that I think it's known. I mean, obviously, the guys that wrote the letter, the admiral, the military knows exactly what happened or they, you know, they they wouldn't have written the letter. So I, I don't think there's any secret here. I, I think it goes further than that. My guess is that at the top levels of the political establishment, they know what happened. Of course, if 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 uh, Bannon is talking about these things in uh, way before the election actually happened, and they're organizing, mobilizing, talking about all of that, and uh, fact of the matter was that that there were many uh, former military and some. A, a president of a sheriff association told me that active duty sheriffs were present there in the insurrection. And so, so all this conversation and filling call for military uh, martial law and all that, all of that is public information. So how come the people who are supposed to secure uh, Capitol Hill uh, were not taking uh, uh, all of that into consideration? Well, Yolanda, Yolanda Ghana, I'm, I'm probably butchering her first name. Her last name is Pittman. She's the acting chief of police of the Capitol Hill Police. Now. The guy, the guy, after, now. After now. The yeah, after January 6th. The guy who was chief of police, uh, Sund, I think was his name. Yes, yeah, he, he retired right after uh, he was forced to retire. Well, she testified to the House Appropriations Committee, I believe it was on January 26th, I think. And in her testimony, which was supposed to be closed, a closed hearing, but New York Times got hold of the testimony and published it. She said they knew everything that was coming. Uh, they knew that there were white supremacists coming. They knew it was going to be violent. They knew it might be armed. They knew they were going to storm the buildings and try to enter the buildings. They knew they were going to try to threaten members of Congress. It's all there. In my article that's on the analysis.news, I have the whole quote from her that comes from her testimony. Of course, they knew exactly what was on its way. So she also testifies that on January 5th, the day before, the then chief of police asks the sergeant of arms of the Senate and the House to call in the National Guard and have them on the perimeter the next day. They get a no. The Sergeant of Arms of House and Senate, and now 
the, the sergeant of arms of the Senate is the more senior person in this process because the Senate is more in charge of infrastructure than the House is. And who does the sergeant of arms of the Senate answer to? Mitch McConnell. That is his boss. And he says so in an article in the Washington Post where he's in it, where he's interviewed a couple of weeks after the six and he calls McConnell his boss. In fact, he says on January 6th itself in the afternoon at 345 in the afternoon, when they're all when the mob has already breached the buildings, he says he asked McConnell to call in the National Guard. Now, the chief of police says he asked the sergeant of arms of the Senate to call the National Guard in right away. And he says, I have to ask my boss, Mitch McConnell. Hmm. And the chief of police says, I never hear back from them. That's this is a quote out of the Washington Post. I have all these quotes in the article. Without it's beyond any reason that McConnell doesn't know before the six what's coming. The chief of police says says it. The acting chief of police says it. There's the D.C. police knew it. There was all kinds of intelligence, and they made a decision not only not to call the National Guard in. They don't even call reinforcements from Maryland and Virginia, which later in the day on the 6th they did, but could have before. Oh, why? They didn't like, the only theory now is they didn't like the optics of soldiers standing on the perimeter. Well, anybody knows anything about security in these kinds of situations. If you really are worried about optics, and sometimes they are, you hide the, the reinforcements. Congress has miles of tunnels beneath it. You could have put thousands of police and National Guard in the tunnels, and if you needed them, bring them out, which is what the Capitol Hill police essentially was asking for. And they get a no. Well, McConnell had to be in on that no. It's just not possible that the Senate sergeants arms say no without asking. Paul, let's take a short break. You're watching Muslim Network TV, and we're talking with Paul Jay about uh, January 6th, some aspect of things which are not in common knowledge, and uh, Paul Jay is putting them together. We'll be right back after these messages. My name is Adam. You remember me? I appeared in so many episodes that Sound Vision has put on the market. No matter what. It hey, what's happening? Hey, oh, sorry. Lockdown is what it is. Well, continuing here. In this lockdown, Sound Vision never stops thinking about you, the viewer. We'll have to get back into production again, online and in line. Everybody in their own space, e even me. Although I'm stuck with Lenisa. Salam! <laughs> Salam! Salam! <laughs> I, know, I know, you were shocked too. Well, let me continue. Uh, this, is, um, this is what I was going to say. Salam! 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 Cut! 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 Finally, I get my own screen time again. Thank God. And so we invested in new equipment. 
to bring you even better production with new songs and new singers and animations. Well, here are a few clips. And Sound Vision has brought all this into your home, making Islamic values and teachings easy. And if you know me, Adam, a multi-talented actor, <laughs> well, sometimes I'm an actor and, and the reporter and the, oh, that's enough, let's move on to the next section. Well, you can watch these new episodes on our new app at www.adamsworldapp.com. We have previews happening every day on Muslim Network TV. Sound Vision has been serving generations, moving and changing with the times. We are all faithfully connected. That is a huge blessing. Your donation helps keep these programs available now and into the future. We take this job of helping tomorrow's Muslims today seriously, and you should too. Today, we need your help. Children absorb and learn from everything they encounter. Make that wholesome, positive, grounded in our faith. Together, we can accomplish our goal of raising better Muslims, better neighbors, and better citizens. Please donate generously. It's an investment in our future. But to finish, let me tell you there are new scripts of my new mission. And it is something that I enjoy talking about. My new mission is space. Houston, we do not have a problem. <laughs> Salam! See you soon!
Welcome back to Muslim Network TV. This is Malik Mujahid talking with Paul Jay. Uh, so you you think that McConnell knew? He had to. Why McConnell was not worried about uh, the his safety and the safety of all other people? Well, the 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 fact is the leadership got taken out pretty quickly. Um, but let's let me say why I think McConnell didn't take, now I'm into the area of speculation because now I'm speculating on his intent. Uh, I think it's pretty good speculation, but still it's speculation. Uh, I think by the six, it was obvious that one, Trump was out of his mind, that the military intervention wasn't gonna happen and maybe never was, but there was certainly an attempt or you wouldn't have had all these letters being written. But I think the most important thing is that the elites, and by, by elites, I'm talking about the uh, financial elites, the big banks, uh, the corporate elites. They had had enough of this guy, Trump, and they wanted a peaceful transition. And something happens on January 6th, which is so one of the you, most- Are you saying that the deep state stood up? Well, it depends what you're calling the deep state. If McConnell's the deep state, I don't know. Uh, I'm talking. I'm talking about something called the American Manufacturers Association. I don't think it's deep state. It's a public lobbying arm for corporate America. The doors of Congress get breached around 2 p.m. in the afternoon. At 3:34 p.m., and I can be precise because that's what they have on their website. The American Manufacturers Association, in the midst of all the chaos, issues a statement calling on Vice President Pence to issue or use the 25th Amendment to remove President Trump from office. So 90 minutes after the doors are breached, the manufactured, American Manufacturers Association, one of the most powerful lobbyists in Washington, one of the most important voices for corporate America, that had been pro-Trump for four years. After getting every tax cut they wanted, every deregulation they wanted, milking the Trump presidency for everything they possibly could, now they decide Trump's not good for business anymore. And they want him gone because he's nuts. You can't come to a conclusion to issue a statement for Pence to remove Trump in 90 minutes. At the very least, the American Manufacturers Association had to already have deliberated and decided Trump has to go. And then can they have this quick emergency meeting? Oh, we're going to issue this statement calling for the 25th Amendment. Maybe. I don't know. But it's pretty weird. And, and so what my point here is McConnell, Lindsey Graham, who votes to certify uh, Pence under enormous pressure from Trump to the point where, you know, they're running around with a noose to hang the guy. He votes to certify and, and plays his role as vice president to certify Biden. Why? Because the elites at this point want Trump gone. He's too insane. They, they, you know, they don't mind volatility in the markets, but craziness of not having a transition after an election, that's too much volatility. And they want this crazy guy gone. So this has to be seen what McConnell's role is in the context that you know the banks come out later and say they're not going to fund anyone that voted not to certify Biden. I mean, the, 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 the elites made it clear to McConnell and to Pence 
uh, I don't care how much you piss off this Republican base, you get rid of this guy. And, and they did. So, so your use of the term elite, don't you think come very close to how the, the right-wing extremists are talking about elite? Uh, there's sure. Well, there is an elite. So <laughs> you talk about him and you can talk about it from the right, from the left as a journalist, but they, I mean, it exists. So, uh, and actually you raise an interesting point because I think uh, there's sections of the right, particularly, uh, who have started to adopt the language of the left. Like if you look, if you look at Trump's messaging, it's actually almost identical to the messaging of Ronald Reagan which means it's all anti-government. You don't really talk about the corporate elites. You don't talk about big business all that much, you know, a little bit, but mostly the problems, government, government, government. And, you know, Reagan's famous line, government's not the solution, it's the problem. Well, what the right has done over this last few years, uh, and the, the best representative of this is Tucker Carlson, uh, who started to actually use language from the left to attack corporate elites and, and, and sound like a leftist. Of course, he's totally in the service of corporate elites. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, Hitler used to attack big business. I mean, uh, Hitler called himself a socialist. It, it's nothing new about the right picking up the language of the left in order to actually serve those elites. Hmm. That's, that's a very interesting point. I mean, yeah, Hitler, yeah, socialist nationalism or something like that. What was the name of the party? National Socialist. He picked up the language of, of, of being like a socialist. He attacked big business, especially if they were Jews, but all big business. Uh, but of course, what did he do in power? He was completely at the service of Krupps and the German corporate and arms manufacturers. But the same uh, is happening in India now. I mean, the these fascist government is yeah. using the socialist terminology while almost killing its farmers. Uh, yes, so I mean, it's a, a perfect example. They don't. They learn to pick up the language of populism. And they'll call them like right-wing populists. It's a contradiction in terms, really. But they learn the language of populism in order to fool people because it's all about fool. Like, listen, what kept, when, when there was slavery in the United States, what kept these tens of thousands of slave, slaves, slaves? It wasn't the whip in itself. And it was, there weren't even enough guns on these plantations. It was the fear and the psychology that people were simply convinced, not everyone, because some escaped, some fought, but the psychology that I can't be anything other than a slave. It's my lot in life. Hmm. And then the same thing happens with workers. You know, you convince, like India is a wonderful example. Millions and millions and millions of people in destitute and poverty, if they ever organized and got together they would wipe these uh, Indian fascists, as you're right, they are fascists, fascists off, off the face of the earth with, with, with a sweep of their hand. Why don't they? Because they've been convinced it's their lot in life and they can't do anything else. So it, it's an old thing. I mean, what the hell, how did feudalism last so long? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the case of India, the caste, uh, you know, the top castes, uh, yeah. 
people and historic control. But but you know this this is India. I mean, twenty five thousand British soldiers control hundreds of millions of people <laughs> there for two hundred years, and uh, so so psychological uh, you know component. Uh, is very critical. How you think the psychological impact of uh, Trump's survival is? I mean, uh, he well, has convinced a huge number of people that he is the Messiah. Well, there's a very, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what it is. There's a very interesting thing that was in New York Times yesterday, I think it was. There's a congressman from Illinois. I forget his name. Yeah, He voted, he's a Republican, voted to impeach Trump. Hmm. And he gets a letter from his cousins yeah. who denounce him as having joined, quote, the devil's army. And, and, and they say he's, you know, he's, he's pro-abortion, he's a slave to socialism, and he's part, three, four times they call him part of the devil's army. Yeah, there's a big component yeah. of this, uh, I, I would call it religious fanaticism. So calling him against God, and the guy is pretty conservative. I mean, I'm uh, we are based in Illinois. The yeah. guy is pretty conservative. I mean, he's uh, other than this particular action. Uh, yeah. um, so, well, um, so so uh, you know how. Uh, so, what do you see future of uh, Trump and the Republican Party? Do you think McConnell? Uh, if, you know, there is no evidence of it, but there is uh, common sense that he knew what is coming. I mean, he's an extremely smart, silent guy who knows how to play his cards and uh, uh, who could uh, deny Obama appointment of a Supreme Court justice while he will get it done uh, for him. So he knows uh, and is a clever operator. Uh, so, so do you think, uh, uh, you know, him not thoroughly protecting, which need to be investigated? Well, I, he left the door open. Never mind thoroughly protecting. He virtually left the door open. But here's the here's the rub. You know, was it to wrestle back some of the Republican Party? Yeah, from he, yeah, yeah. He does it because he. I'm here's where I speculate, but he did it so it would it would turn into such a mess they blame it all on Trump, and they did, and and that for a while there it looked like they were going to reverse so discredit Trump and and so uh, inflame public opinion against him, their hope was they could pry his hands off the Republican Party and he would leave office so discredited that was their hope. I call this a failed coup within a failed coup because that McConnell coup against Trump also failed because the fanatical support for Trump is so strong. His people didn't even care. In fact, they don't even believe it was his people that did it. How, how many, what percentage of Republicans think it was Antifa and, and Black Lives Matter or whatever? I mean, it's craziness. But there's another thing here that might let McConnell off the hook here and why they didn't target him in the impeachment hearings and why they may not, even if they have these 9-11, I, I do quotation marks around 9-11 because I don't think the 9-11 commission, while as a commission, it might be a good model, but the conclusions 9-11 commission came to, I don't think they got to the truth of what happened. But anyway, that's another conversation. But the sergeant of arms of the Senate reports to McConnell, but the sergeant of arms of the House reports to Nancy Pelosi. 
So did Nancy Pelosi not know what was going on? Now, I don't know, but I do know that she has since, and some people that work with her have since said the sergeant of arms of the house lied to them, that they did ask, meaning staff of Pelosi did ask, what are the security uh, plans? And that they were lied to, and this is in the press. Uh, and and though, so I don't know, maybe Pelosi, Pelosi didn't know, but there's an interesting thing happened at the end of the Senate uh, impeachment hearings. Uh, Jamie Raskin, who's the head of manager of the impeachment, announces they're going to call witnesses. And they have several witnesses they want to call, starting with this uh, congresswoman who knows about the phone call that Trump has with McCarthy. And then all of a sudden, Ted Cruz says, okay, you call witnesses. Well, then so are we. And we're going to start with Nancy Pelosi. And we're going to ask her, what did she know about what was going to happen on the 6th? And what did she do about it? And all of a, all of a sudden, Raskin says, oh, okay, we're not going to call witnesses. And when, when he stands up to announce that they've worked out a deal where they're just going to have a written submission from this congresswoman about the phone call, what, what does he give as the reason why they're not going to call witnesses? He says because the Republicans threatened to call Nancy Pelosi and turn this into a circus. All right. So let, let me just add one little thing. Now, you'd think if they add, if they start questioning Nancy Pelosi as Ted Cruz threatened, wouldn't they worry about McConnell? But Ted Cruz hates McConnell. And McConnell hates Ted Cruz. So I don't think Ted Cruz would have minded okay. if it ended up at McConnell. Well, uh, we will continue this conversation, but a little bit more on the constitutional side as a professor of law is going to join us. You're watching Muslim Network TV. This is Imam Malik Mujahid, and I'm talking with Paul Jay. And we'll continue conversation as Professor Brian Kalt joins us. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. My wife, who uh, she's a professor at the University of Cincinnati, who, who's Catholic, and by her watching and listening to our three-year-old son uh, watch Adam's World, 
she ended up taking Kalima Shahada. She embraced Islam because she learned so much about Islam and the other prophets. It really affected our life in a great way. And because of uh, sound vision and Adam's world, we're Muslims. I took my Shahada 15 years ago, and I actually am from a rural part of Ohio. And so I found the catalog for sound vision and I ordered the the tapes and the CDs and the books and I use those and especially for my little daughter you know that's how we basically learned our Islam and Islam entered our hearts through the wonderful works of, of Sound Vision. Okay, alaikum, brother. I just want you to know that I love the Sound Vision website that a lot of times when I'm looking for information especially as it relates to homelessness domestic violence and women issues I go to that website and then I see what you've written and then I copy and paste it and spread the word because the wisdom is there so I can't you know, I can't do any better than what Sound Vision has already done. Sound Vision is our survival uh, uh, guide. It is the uh, organization that provides skills for Muslims how to survive and thrive in this uh, community here in the U.S. Assalamualaikum, my name is Anam, I'm in 11th grade and I grew up with Adam's World and what it taught me was unity, respect and love for the Muslim Ummah. Is Adam's World is the greatest show ever made. Take me to the Kaaba, man. I love that puppet. Welcome back to Muslim Network TV, and thank you so much, uh, Professor Brian Card, for joining us. Uh, prof he's professor of law at Michigan State University and the author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for president and their enemies. So, Professor, welcome to Muslim Network TV. How many presidents have been reading your book? So, so it seems that we have a, a little audio problem as we resolve that. Uh, Paul J, you talk about that he should, President Trump should have been uh, charged with, uh, <clears throat> uh, with uh, uh, sedition and uh, what else he used? Uh, treason. Treason. Um, and... Uh, um, and I wanted to ask Professor Galt, uh, what are his uh, his thought, whether that's a possibility or not. I hope he's still uh, listening while we try to figure out his uh, his uh, his audio issues. But why do you think um, uh, that that would have been a a better charge than insurrection? Because insurrection, everybody saw, defining it as a treason. Uh, would have been a little difficult. So they probably wanted to go for the... Uh, well, I, I think, I think. well, insurrection probably leads to a charge of sedition, which is uh, is more in the realm of, if I, I'm not a lawyer, but you know, I've been reading recently, is more in the realm of incitement of insurrection is more like a charge of sedition. Uh, the reason I say treason is because of the... Uh, 
what seems to be evidence of the attempt to get the Secretary of Defense to involve the military in intervening. I think if you look just at the events of January 6th, if that was an isolated event, then probably it doesn't rise to the level of treason, although even it might. That There's a, one uh, opinion from a Supreme Court justice, I believe his name was Chase, uh, who specifically says any use of organized force to over, overturn or prevent the government for ec exercising uh, the law, and in this case would be the law of transition from one president to the other, that would be treason. Maybe, as I say, I'm not an expert, but, but I think the issue of the uh, att attempt, maybe it's conspiracy to commit treason, but the, in, the, in the Justice Chase's decision, he says it's irrelevant whether it succeeds or not, and it's also irrelevant how many people are involved in the act of force, although in this case, it's, it's many, it's thousands. So, uh, in the buildings, it's at least hundreds. So based on Chase's definition, I, I, it's certainly to a layman's eyes or journalist's eyes, it looks like treason. Um, but the reason I think it should be treason is to force uh, a pressure, a, a real investigation into the events that led up to January 6th, which is this potential uh, attempt to organize a, a military intervention. What is the punishment of treason? I don't have it in front of me, but it's uh, there's two parts to it in the Constitution. One part is um, an attack on the government, uh, which which uh, it, I'm not quoting the exact words, but it it does not have to be in the service of a foreign power. The first part is an attack on the government to overthrow the government. I forget the exact words, but then it's an or not an and, or in the service of a foreign power attacking the government. So treason doesn't require any relationship to a foreign power. And, and that's where I think it gets confused. A lot of people think treason necessarily means in the service of a foreign power. So if I'm understanding it correctly, and I hope our constitutional lawyer uh, gets his audio fixed so he can help answer this, um, my understanding is any organized attempt to use force to prevent the government or attempt to overthrow the government is treason. And it seems to me that's what happened. Okay. So <clears throat> do you think that uh, Nancy Pelosi, if she was in on what was going on, uh, will actually go ahead and have the commission? Um, when I, I'm not saying she was in on it. I don't, I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I only know that she, well, I, was, she may have been lied to. It's very possible she was lied to. If she was lied to. Congresspersons, I, Paul, different congresspersons are saying there were text messages between congresspersons to be careful on on January 6th. Uh, AOC has said, other people have said, there were text messages. Uh, oh, people yeah. were aware of these things. Oh yeah, no, I think people knew something bad was coming. There's some Congress people that were planning to bring their families and then didn't. Um, but the question is, did she or someone that works for her ask the house sergeant of arms that reports to her 
about security precautions and and was she lied to? That's what they're claiming. It may be true. It may not be true. I, I don't know. If she really pursues this 9-11 type investigation, it will come out. And maybe she was lied to. I mean, I, I, I have no opinion on it because I don't have any evidence. You think, um, so do you think that commission will actually uh, come into being or not? Uh, let me add just one other little piece. Uh, it's not, it's, one could argue, well, if Pelosi was lied to, then wasn't, couldn't have been McConnell was lied to. Well, yeah, it's theoretically possible. But given that it's primarily the Senate's responsibility, the security, and given that on the 6th, the sergeant of arms of the Senate says, I got to go ask my boss McConnell about calling in the National Guard, at least one to think he probably asked his boss before the 6th about the National Guard. But an investigation will show that. Do I think there will be a 9-11 commission? Uh, I said again, I wish they'd come up with some other terminology because I'm not a big fan of the 9-11 commission. And uh, I'm more a fan of the, the uh, investigation conducted by Senator Bob Graham and the uh, joint congressional uh, committee that investigated 9-11. I think they got at far more of what the truth of what happened than the official 9-11 commission. And people should look up. I did a bunch of interviews with Bob Graham. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't know. I, I think the American Manufacturers Association, I think Wall Street would very much like the, apost that the evidence that there might have been a coup not to come out. It's not good for business for United States to look so like a third world country to look potentially so unstable, to look like there could have been military intervention. Uh, so will this will this come out? I don't know how it doesn't in the sense it's just like I say, everything I'm talking about is completely in the public domain. So, I, so, so I don't know. Professor Carl, thank you so much. I hope this time the audio works. Um, yes. Is it true that you were cited 15 times but Trump's defense team, but you feel they did not properly quoted you? Yes. Um, hopefully you can hear me now. Yes. Um, both um, the, the House managers cited me about 19 times by my count, and the, um, and, and the Trump lawyers cited me about 15 times. The, the article I had written in 2001 on impeaching former officers was the only um, full-length piece of scholarship out there. So it was inevitable that both sides were going to use it as best they could. How they got into this, you know, you have a book on constitutional cliffhanger, a legal guide for president and their enemies. Uh, so it seems uh, president and enemies are not reading, but their lawyers are reading what you are writing, right? Well, the book itself was looking through six different scenarios where um, the Constitution isn't perfectly clear and we can get into some uncertainty and some mischief, perhaps. So there was a chapter on presidents pardoning themselves, for instance, a chapter on prosecuting sitting presidents. Uh, this was back in 2012. And the idea was to think about these things before we have an actual case um, to set out all the arguments before and evidence before we know which side we're rooting for, because that way we can get a more honest answer, a better legal analysis. Um, once 
the uh, once the case actually arose, um, the, because it's an ambiguous situation, both sides had plenty to look at. So I weighed all of the evidence about what I called late impeachment. And I concluded that the better argument was that uh, ex-presidents can be uh, impeached and, and tried. But there, there was a lot of evidence on the other side too. Um, it just wasn't as much as on the late impeachment side. So what I expected them to do, what I expected Trump's lawyers to do, was to take what I said was the best argument for their side and use that and, and maybe cite my article for that. What they actually did was to take things that I said and then cite me as though I had said the opposite. So for instance, I said, um, well, you could argue this against late impeachment. Here's why that's wrong. And then they cited me for the this part, not the you could argue this, but it would be wrong. And here are all the reasons. Um, and so I, I don't know why they did that. Um, they didn't need to do that, but but they did. Uh, and it was it was very unfortunate. Well, the Pennsylvania law that lawyers have a responsibility to state facts uh, as they are. Uh, do you think uh, they, there will be some repercussions uh, on using your scholarship in a in a false way? No, I, I think that's a, that's a sort of a different um, thing that they're dealing with there. So, for instance, if you were to say in a brief that someone was at a certain place at a certain time, uh, and and then turns out they weren't, um, that's I think more what they're talking about. The way that you cite authorities and the footnotes, that's that's a little more. I, I don't know. I mean, lawyers. Uh, all have experienced this where a brief cites a case or cites an article or cites a brief and then you look at it and it says the opposite that's not i mean it's dishonest in a way but that's not the sort of thing that gets you disbarred it can get you called out in court and and the and the judge won't be very happy with you and it severely can affect your credibility with the judge but it, it's again not the sort of thing that gets you disbarred unless it's just, I'm, I don't know, more, more than a few times in one brief. Hmm. Tell me this, General, you know, why, why Chief Justice Roberts uh, did not preside and why it was not made a big deal? I mean, there was nothing big about it. It just happened that, oh, it's all right. Well, I think that the, uh, the Trump lawyers did make uh, a big deal out of it, but the reality is the Constitution says that when the president is tried, that the chief justice presides. And Donald Trump, uh, when the trial began, was not the president. If they had started the trial before January 20th, that would have worked. Um, but it's ambiguous. So if you say if the president is on trial, does that mean that he was the president when he did what he was being impeached for? Does it mean he was the president when he was impeached? Or does it mean at the time of the trial? I think the best reading is that it means at the time of the trial, but you could argue both sides. If if Roberts had said that he should preside and the Senate had agreed, I don't think that would have been all that problematic. The, the, the way that they wanted to use that though, as, as an argument against late impeachment was to say, well, it says that the, and, and they did say this, it says that if the president is tried that the chief justice presides, and it says the president is removed 
if he's convicted, it doesn't say anything anywhere about ex-presidents. So that to them was sort of more evidence of that. When it talks about the president being impeachable, it doesn't mean ex-president, they said. And and so you can't you can't take president to mean only the sitting president and the chief justice clause, and then take it separately to also include ex-presidents in the removal clause. But that's again not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says if the president is convicted, he's removed. Well, okay, but if he's not the president and he's convicted, then he's not removed. The Constitution doesn't say only sitting presidents can be tried. It doesn't say the timing of the trial has to be while he's still in office. It just says if he's convicted and he's still in office, then he's removed. It does limit it to things he did as president. It's not that they're saying you can impeach anybody. Um, it has to be official misconduct. But but this is a very good example of just the, the intricacies and the ambiguities of the text coming to these where anyone can make an argument about it. And you really need to sit down and work through all of the evidence and figure out what does it really mean? What does it really say? What did the founders intend here? Hmm. Uh, tell me this, Professor. <clears throat> General Flynn, when the whole idea about the uh, military takeover and martial law and all that, he says that, you know, martial law has been instituted 64 times in the past. And uh, I don't know whether is, that is true or not, but uh, what is the constitutionality of this martial law business? Well, that's sort of outside of my area of, of expertise, but I, I, I know just as a historical matter that martial law has never been part of a presidential election before. I mean, that's, you, you have civil unrest, um, you, you have the Civil War and, and the need to reconstruct the South afterwards. Okay, the military has a role in that. Um, but something like the, we, we don't like how the election came out, that, that, would, that would have been unprecedented. And Flynn was, uh, Flynn was saying some pretty out there things and, and it, it didn't have any resonance in the end. But, um, but again, that didn't really come up in the impeachment. Uh, they, they didn't go after Trump for uh, what he did um, with, with those sorts of ideas that Flynn had. Hmm. Well, uh, I had a whole lot of questions, uh, Professor, with you. And I thought on one point, uh, uh, Paul Jay, who's, uh, who you, is a journalist, and you could also involve, but hopefully we'll invite you again uh, because our constitution seems to have a whole lot, uh, you know, uh, but uh, with amendments and all that, but there are questions on which, uh, you know, people continue to fight. I mean, the people who invaded on uh, January 6th were doing that to save the constitution. And the people who are trying, uh, those people, they're trying to save the constitution. So constitution seems to prevail in terms of uh, uh, rhetoric, uh, but uh, there seems to be a whole lot of ambiguities, uh, which probably will never be removed and uh, rarely will be used. Uh, but we will hopefully we'll invite you again. So thank you so much, uh, Paul Jay and Professor Kalt. I truly appreciate your time. Uh, with us. And thank you so much, uh, Sheridil and Dr. Abdul Wahid, for producing today's show. 
And uh, thank you for watching. Uh, we have interesting conversation here 24 7. So stay tuned for other programming. You're watching Muslim Network TV on Galaxy 19 Satellite, Amazon Fire TV, Raku, Apple TV, and your download our app on your phone, Muslim Network TV, or our website. Peace. Salam. Thank you.